and welcome to episode 194 of SMARTS, which, as you know, stands for Surprisingly, Mix Avalanche Reaffirms Team Solidarity. Ooh. Ooh, that was a good one from your mom. I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster, and with me, as always, is Trevor, aka Rudiger Q Podcaster. Hello. Hi. Ready for some news? Yes, ready. So, we've actually got a bunch of news this week. So, at a, I believe it was an investors meeting, um, uh, the CEO of Disney announced when we can expect the next Star Wars movies. Ooh, when? So remember the uh, the story was that they were going to take some time to reevaluate their release plan and what projects they were going to pursue after, I mean, they didn't say this much, but the subtext was after Solo underperformed. Yeah. Um, they're not, they weren't going to be releasing a new movie every year mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. They were going to take, we didn't know how much time off, a year, two years, maybe more. And then there was going to be something after episode nine, but uh-huh. you know who knows how long. So um, they announced their plan. So the next Star Wars movie after this, after Rise of Skywalker, at the end of this year, twenty nineteen, won't be until twenty twenty two. Ooh, so it'll be a three year gap. Okay. Um, and then new movies will follow that every two years, at least for the time being. Okay. So 2022, 2024, and 2026. Yep. The, the, I, the reason here is, and they're moving them back to a uh, Christmas release schedule. Yep. Um, and these will alternate with the new Avatar movies, which are now a Disney property since Disney acquired Fox. Right. So the next new Avatar movie will come out in 2021, and you get Star Wars, Avatar, Star Wars, Avatar, Star Wars, Avatar, because there's four new Avatar movies wow. coming out, whether you want it or not. Um, and then later it was confirmed that the first of these new Star Wars movies will be the first movie in a, um, they haven't said trilogy, they've said series, of new movies um, by the Game of Thrones guys, uh, Benioff and Weiss. Okay. So uh, still unaccounted for is the new trilogy that Ryan Johnson was is supposed to be developing. Mm-hmm. So we don't know whether it's going to go like Benioff and Weiss, Johnson, Benioff and Weiss, Johnson or whatever. Right. But that would mean waiting four years in between installments of each exactly. series. But Either that or Johnson's trilogy is coming out after all this is done, but that's like ten years from now. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? So yeah. I don't know I don't I don't know what the plan is here. It, it alternating seems weird because then you're waiting so long in between installments of a, of an individual story. Right. But waiting till this whole trilogy is over seems weird also because then Ron Johnson is gonna have to wait ten years to do the first of his movies. So I don't know what the plan is. Um but you know, I, I think Unless we, they double up. Double up. What do you mean? As in, up? like, double up on the timeline. As in, like, release multiple multiple just, movies a year. Well, they wouldn't have to release multiple movies a year. These are two years apart. They could just put the Ryan Johnson movies in the in the off years. I guess. You know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It would seem weird to put out two movies in one year and then nothing the next year. Then two movies, yeah, then nothing. Yeah. That would be weird. Go back to doing once a year after you've given it a bit of a rest. I guess they could do that. But then why make a point of saying they're alternating with Avatar if they're then going to reveal that the Avatar years are also going to have different Star Wars movies? It seems it would seem weird to, to announce it that way. Why not announce the full slate? You know, once we're going to have a Star Wars movie every year starting in 2022 and, and, and every other year there'll also be an Avatar movie. I don't know. It's, maybe it, they're quietly weird. saying maybe the Ryan Johnson deal fell through. No, I, they, they've said that that's still... They actually addressed that and said that that's still... On the books. That's still coming. Okay. We just we don't know when. So, I mean, obviously oh. they have a plan. It just seems kind of hard to figure out what it is at this point. 
Um, but at any rate, we're going to have to wait three years after The Rise of Skywalker for the next movie. But of course, we'll have multiple TV projects between now and then. We'll have Resistance, Clone Wars will be back. We'll have The Mandalorian. We'll have the uh, the Cassian Andor series. And they also said there's going to be at least one more live-action Star Wars series coming in the near future that they mm-hmm. haven't announced yet. Oh. So I think the plan is probably to have multiple Star Wars TV shows fill the gap between now and then. I mean... We knew that already, but there's going to be even more than we thought, plus the animation. So Star Wars is going to be more of a television franchise for the next few years and not so much a movie franchise, mm-hmm. as, as strange as that may seem. Mm-hmm. Um, the next bit of news concerns the um, the return of the DC Showcase animated shorts. So I think you might not be aware of this because you watched them all. Do you remember um, when we were going through all the uh, DC animated movies, there was there was one that was a collection of shorts. There was the Jonah Hex short. There was a Spectre short. And then there was an extended one that was like the length of a TV episode, basically, that was uh, Superman and Captain Marvel fighting Black Adam. Do you remember these these shorts that we watched? No. Okay, you have no recollection. I have no recollection. But each DC animated movie used to come with a little short animated film on the the DVD Mm -hmm. that would be like a little 8 to 10 minute short that Mm -hmm. would be completely unrelated to the movie. So you'd get... The Green Lantern movie with um, Christopher Maloney and uh, Victor Garber, mm-hmm. and you get on there this little eight-minute Spectre story or whatever, and it was cool. But they stopped doing that for a while, kind of when the movies became more or less the current version of the all-in continuity Jason O'Mara, Jerry O'Connell version yep. of the movies. But they're going back and they're going to start doing more DC showcase shorts. So this means that for the next um, couple of years, when we get a new DC animated movie, you'll have a unrelated, but you know, mm-hmm. hopefully, you know cool new little animated short film on there and they've announced what the next bunch are going to be um there's going to be a sergeant rock one starring carl urban as, as the voice of sergeant rock awesome they're going to be doing a phantom stranger one they're going to be doing an adam strange one uh one focusing on death of the endless neil gaiman's version of oh, death okay and then they're they're going to do um they said batman death in the family which of course is the famous jason todd is killed by the joker storyline that would seem an odd choice for a short and not a full movie right. they also haven't revealed any details about that so part of me wonders if that short is going to be actually in continuity with the other movies in other words even though it's a short it's going to be the Jason O'Mara version of Batman and that will set up like a possible Red Hood appearance for later movies right otherwise why not announce the cast of that they right. announce the cast of all the others it seems like they're holding something back and what would it be unless it's you know the regulars um, Michael Rosenbaum is going to be in one of them. There's a bunch of other cool people in there. Um, so it's cool to, to have these back. I mean, just to have, a, you might not, they might not be think that a, a Sergeant Rock movie or a Phantom Stranger movie would sell, but you can put a little 10 minute short film on there. I think Bruce Tim is overseeing at least one of them. So he's heavily involved. So these, these will be cool. I mean, a Sergeant Rock short film with Carl Urban doing the voice sounds pretty, <laughs> pretty good to me. So next little bit of news. So the uh, the Batwoman show, the Ruby Rose Batwoman pilot for the CW has been ordered to series. Awesome. So we will definitely be getting at least a season of this Batwoman series. Um, presumably it will take Arrow's time slot. Um, oh. and maybe it'll oh, be like right, a mid, yeah. maybe it'll be a mid-season thing. So Arrow will see Arrow season eight will be in the fall. And then when it ends, this will right. pick up. But they do all sorts of weird things like Black Lightning takes Supergirl's time slot sometimes and yeah. then it comes back. They do they've got so many shows they they weird to juggle them. But yeah, so that's that's getting a full a full season order. Exciting. Um so we normally don't talk about uh comic 
scheduling news on the show, but I thought it was interesting because these are both series that we're enjoying. So the final issue, number nine of Heroes in Crisis, which was Mm -hmm. supposed to come out earlier this month, has been held back to the end of the month. And the reason for that is that it's being held back to coincide with the release of the next issue of Doomsday Clock, which is, of course, being perpetually delayed. Mm -hmm. So they kind of, I think they kind of hoped it wouldn't have to come to this, but Doomsday Clock number 10 was delayed again. And so Heroes in Crisis number nine will come out on the same day. I think it's the last Wednesday of this month, so in a couple of weeks. Presumably because there's going to be some big revelation in Doomsday Clock that uh, you'll need to have read because they say that finally Doomsday Clock number 10 will reveal the full truth about what Dr. Manhattan did to the timeline. So I'm assuming there's going to be some big revelation there that plays into the ending of Heroes in Crisis somehow. So mm-hmm. we'll have to wait and see. But that kind of makes me more excited to, to read because it's like that because they've been saying all along, oh, you know, Dr. Manhattan, we're going to get this Doomsday yeah, Clock yeah. is where we're going to get the answers. And it's been like a year and a half of Doomsday Clock. And yeah. I mean, it's been an excellent series, but we haven't really gotten, aside from like, oh, he moved the lantern away from Alan Scott yeah, and yeah. all like this little bit of stuff with the Legion and so on. But he sort of exists like, outside I, time. I, want, yeah. I would like more details. Um, and it sounds like now we're finally getting it. So if anything, this makes me more excited about, about both of these issues because they wouldn't have gone to to this length unless we were actually going to get some solid information that has an impact on stuff happening outside of Doomsday Clock. Right. Although Heroes in Crisis takes place before Doomsday Clock, presumably, because Doomsday Clock is still taking place in the future by, it was a year in the future when it started. Now maybe it's like a few months in the future or something. Um, so I'm not quite sure how that works. Well, you have to read you have to read the one that takes place in the future before you read the one that takes place in the present, but anyway, we'll have right. to wait and see. Um, and then I just thought I'd mention as the last bit of news that we finally got a new trailer for the Final Fantasy VII remake, the the, mm-hmm. the video game remake of the classic Final Fantasy VII that's, that was announced and the first trailer and the first gameplay footage was shown years ago and then they went completely silent about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything behind the scenes indicates that they basically, they had, they had, they sort of outsourced some of the development. Like these days, modern video game development, especially a big AAA title like this is not all done very in-house, rarely is it yeah. done in-house by one team sometimes it is but they'll farm out like oh like these people will do this aspect of the production or the 3d modeling right. or this level design or whatever mm-hmm. and these people will work on the combat design and these people will do the cinematics or whatever right but apparently they weren't happy with the quality of work they were getting back so they moved it entirely in-house but that basically meant is like completely restarting the production from scratch more yeah. or less i mean yeah. I, they can probably use some of their design documents and obviously the character designs and some of the writing and stuff but as far as the actual game design and coding some of it had to start from zero so um we got a new trailer show cloud and barrett a little bit of Aerith. um tifa he's, he's of sephiroth at the end didn't get to see any tifa saw some classic locations and bosses they promise more information coming in June, which will be E3. We might even get a release date for that. I know that there's people out there that have been waiting. I mean, Final Fantasy VII was great. It's definitely one of my favorite games too. But if they announced a huge, what what I, what I would my dream game would be like a huge um, remake of this this production quality of Final Fantasy VI, or it doesn't even need to be this huge. Like even something just bring it up to to modern, like the the one that everybody says. Remember the the game Octopath Traveler for the the Switch, which we didn't yes. play, but it yes. has like 2D characters with this interesting um, 3D, really interesting depth of field um, yes. effect in the background mm-hmm. where it's very, like everything is very blurred. Like everything is not, I'm not quite sure right. cinematogra- cin- cinematographically what the terminology is, but there's very little depth of field. Like it, right. there's very sharp focus and then everything else just drops off, you know, right. and it, yeah. it kind of makes it look like you're looking at a, a miniature, you yep. know? Yep. 
uh, with the little 2D characters on it. So even something like that or some sort of updating of 6 would be my, my dream. But but uh, I'm excited for this too. Whether we actually play it or not, I'm excited to sort of see how, how it actually all comes together. Mm-hmm. And they've said that it's going to be an episodic thing. Like the project... It's too big. Like you could, you could do a, you could do a seventy-hour RPG like this back on the PlayStation, um, and it could be a single game mm-hmm. that would only take you a couple of years to make because so much less work was involved back then. But just right. to design the detail, and then you know the voice acting and the the motion capture and everything that's involved, and even a fraction of a modern AAA game would take the entire production time and man hours mm-hmm. of the entire game did back then. So they're apparently good. it's going to be like multiple releases to cover to retell the entire story. So mm-hmm. even if part one comes out later this year, it could be five years before the entire thing is out. But hmm. we'll see. I don't know. I'm, it's it, it's a it's an exciting thing because everybody was praying for a Final Fantasy VII remake yep. for a long time because it was the game that re- made the series and the genre really just explode in the U.S. when it came out on the PlayStation. Um, and people have been hoping for a big budget remake and now we're finally getting it. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see what actually happens with it. That's and awesome. That, and that's it for our news. Great bit of news. So what was your comic of the week? So this week I picked Hawkman number 12. It was the conclusion to the entire Deathbringers arc. And it was awesome. The battle between the army of Hawkman and the Deathbringers who came to Earth um, led by Edom, um, Hawk. Uh, Katar's former best friend slash right hand man, I suppose. Um, his wingman. His wingman. Why didn't I see that? See, genius, everybody, genius. Um, no, it was just a wonderful, wonderful conclusion to the story. It was. It it even had an element of awesomeness at the very end, where Hawkman gets back his memories of his past selves and. Uh, that'll be a new element to his character going forward here's one more character i mean we just read we were just talking about you know heroes in crisis and and doomsday clock and the missing years and so on and the last week's um i almost called that episode last week's issue of young justice featured tim drake getting all of his memories back of of the old young justice team and all of his adventures with them now we have hawkman getting all of his memories back including his memories of being like the golden age 1940s Justice Society version of Hawkman. Because if yep. you look, that classic costume Hawkman, he doesn't look too different than the, the costume he's wearing now, but there are subtle differences that right. if you if you know to look for them are there. He was there fighting amongst them. So he has all of his memories back too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more and more characters are obviously, yeah. you know, it's the, the clearly like, the, they're, they're well, setting it up. Well, Wally, setting up the Wally West's return was the, the first crack in the dam of, of characters getting the memories back from before the new 52 and now it seems like more characters than not yep you know have have all that back so yeah yeah, it was a really good conclusion so the the series will continue um robert venditti will continue to write it but brian hitch as artist he did these 12 consecutive issues now he's moving on to a new project so Mm -hmm. we'll get new artists in the future but it'll be the same writer and they set up some stuff in the future in this in this issue too yeah yeah that was really good so i picked uh flash number 70 nice which was the first part of the flash year one storyline yeah um so it's it's interesting that they're doing this now because the the issue of flash before this um ended with someone coming to barry and saying you know it uh, everything's about to happen it all stems from you know your origin in the earliest the earliest years and it almost seemed like he was going to make him relive it or something like it's not just this flashback isn't just happening to us the readers like it's also happening to him or something so there's a reason why the story is happening now in the book like it's not just because oh let's retell his origin right it is actually important important to to show you what the 
new version of his origin is because it's going to be important to this big arc that Williamson is telling going forward. Right. You know, with Hunter Zolomon in the future and Commander Cold and the rogues and the new forces and all this other stuff. Like, there's mm-hmm. a reason why it has to be now. And we're seeing hints of that now um, where we're seeing parts of Barry's origin that we never saw before. Like, the first time he actually tried to run really fast, he got thrown way into the future where the turtle... Yeah. Rule Central yeah. City and there's an old grizzled ver- like version like, of himself saying you know, what like, are you doing? Don't like you know travel? Scarlet Speedster returns basically yeah, like yeah. you know like this future Frank Miller version of Flash that's a hero in the city. So I mean obviously that wasn't there. Right. I, it, although Williamson said it's funny like he actually this actually fits into the classic continuity because the first issue of the Flash, you know, he gets his powers um he learns how to use them in like two panels mm-hmm. and then he by the end of the issue he's wearing a costume and then like in the very next issue he makes mention of the fact that he knows that his speed allows him to travel through time and you know it was the 50s so kids reading that if they even read if they'd even happened sure. to read both issues you know because right. periodical publishing being what it was you'd have to get it on the newsstand or whatever but like oh it's, I guess the speed allows him to, to rent to travel through time but when looked at from a modern perspective, you actually piece it out. You're like, wait, this is his second issue. How does he know that he can travel through time? Well, it's because as we're now learning, as part of his origin, he actually did travel through time for the first time, and this is what happened, you know? So it actually does fit into, even though it's obviously being told with modern sensibility, and he's retconning certain stuff like August Hart is there in the origin because from the way back at the beginning of, you know, Flash number one is part of Rebirth, set up that August Hart, who becomes Godspeed, was one of his earliest friends on the force and was the one that found him after he got hit by lightning and so right. on. So, of course, Williamson's going to insert him now mm-hmm. into the origin. So there's stuff like that that's retcons, and obviously all of this is retcons, but he's being careful as he is such a huge Flash fan to fit it into the continuity. Mm-hmm. And there's precedent for stuff like this, too. I mean, Batman, people forget now, but Batman Year One, was not a miniseries. It was published as issues of, I think it was Batman, not Detective Comics, but Mm -hmm. it was like Batman number 591 or whatever was Batman Year One Part One. It was published in the main series. It wasn't its own separate project. Right. Because it was important that every Batman reader understand this is the new origin because it was so, so different than everything that had come before because it was right after the crisis and everything was completely different. When when Mark Wade went back and retold uh, Wally's origin, Born to Run, I think is what it was called, that was in the main Flash series. And mm-hmm. that was done for a specific reason then because there was stuff there that was going to be important going forward in his run. And mm-hmm. so it was important to catch everybody up, make sure everybody was on the same page. Right. So there's precedent for no stuff like intended. this happening. Sometimes it's own separate thing like John Byrne's Man of Steel reboot miniseries origin was its own separate thing but that was sort of done to give it a a sense of prestige you know like oh it's man of steel number one this is a brand new thing you know but uh, but there's precedent especially with the flash for doing it as part of the main line so that everybody is clear that this is part of the main story it's because if you if you make it its own separate miniseries mm-hmm. it sort of seems disposable in a way like oh right. if you want to know his origin go read that but like no there's a reason why it's in the main book it's because this is part of the main story even though it seems like a digression so it's kind of cool that they're doing it that way and i thought it was it was cool, like seeing seeing stuff like August Hart in there, seeing yep. him and him and Iris West, seeing the origin done with a a modern spin. The cool thing they did with the art, where it like alternated um, red and yellow panels, like yep. the the time yeah. passing, like he's coming in and out of his coma and he's hearing things that people said. The beginning with him reading old old uh, Jay Garrick Flash comics in yeah. his mom's attic, going back to the original conception that Barry took the name the Flash From... because he would read comics of Jay Garrick's exploits mm-hmm. that you discover later. Were hap- his, actually happening on Earth too, you know? Yeah, one of his fondest memories from uh, the relationship he had with his mom, which we don't often get to see, you know? Yeah, though, I mean, there's been a lot more of it. Re- like, his parents never used to be a factor at all, but when Jeff Johns retconned it to be that the whole father yeah. accused of murdering the mother thing, his parents come up all the time now, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't get to see their actual interactions as much. And it's very much in the whole Jeff Johns style of The Flash is about moving forward. 
thing right. because we get the 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 sense here and it's very you know laid on very thickly thematically but it's it's fine that ever since that day ever since his mother died he's been so sort of standing still he's yes. been stuck you know mm-hmm. he doesn't put himself out there he doesn't try to move forward the justice league movie even did a little bit of this too you know with his father urging him in yes. prison to like move mm-hmm. on don't co- don't come and see me anymore right. i think the tv show maybe even did a little bit of that too with john wesley ship saying you know you should stop yes. coming and mm-hmm. seeing me even going so far as to tell barry that he did it i'm not sure if the john wesley ship version did that or not but in some versions like he says no he lies to him and says no i did it give up on me i'm guilty like stop trying to prove my innocence because i'm telling you i actually did murder your mother you know yeah um but here, you know, we see that he's sort of stuck. Like, he's he's introverted. He's not. Right. But when he actually gets the powers, he it takes him a while. But then he actually, like, you see him, he's like, wait a minute. This is actually fun. And he smiles, yeah, you know, yeah. for the first time. And that's when he actually lets loose and mm-hmm. breaks the, the time barrier and everything. <laughs> but, but yeah, like, and that's, that's what Jeff Johns has sort of recontextualized the whole, like, kind of like how Green Lantern used to be like, oh, he was a guy, the ring chooses you because you're without fear. But Jeff Johns thought it was more powerful and recontextualized the whole thing is like, no, it's about overcoming fear. Yep. Green Lantern is about overcoming fear. And when he took over Flash, he said, well, let's sort of recontextualize Flash as being like Flash is about moving forward, mm-hmm. you know, like moving moving forward with your life, doing new things, you know, not being afraid of the, of the new, you know, like not being afraid to put the past behind you, you know, yep. like it's about forward motion. Green Lantern's about, well... You know, overcoming fear flashes about moving forward. And so it's cool to see that, that that idea is sort of still there and writers that are coming along years later and sort of incorporating it back into the origin. Cool. So, yeah. So that was our comic. So now are you ready for our, our game slash activity? Quactivity? Yes. Yes. So because we uh, just rewatched Captain America Civil War the other day, and so now we've rewatched yes. all three of the Captain America movies, I thought we could rank the Captain America movie villains. Okay. So we've as got, long as you remind me who they are. Okay. Well, we uh, hopefully you remember <laughs> these people because you just rewatched the movies over the past few uh, weeks. I know. Um, but we've got Red Skull. Yep. Arnim Zola. Okay. Right. You remember who these people are so far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alexander Pierce. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crossbones, aka uh, Brock Rumlow. Okay. Right. Yes. Remember who this Rumlow? character is? Sure, yes. sure, sure. And then uh, Zemo, Helmet Zemo nice. from uh, Civil War. Yeah, he's my favorite. He's your favorite? Yep. Even more so than uh, Robert Redford or Hugo Weaving or. Toby Jones or oh those is it just because see, he was the most I, I grant you who is probably the most three-dimensional he was the most three-dimensional and he was the most clever of all of them because he succeeded in his mission he did bring everybody else to yeah do you know he's the only one in that list well that actually I mean one could argue that well I mean Hydra was kind of taken down in Winter Soldier when it was revealed to be part of S.H.I.E.L.D. but by the same token like Zola kind of did succeed even past, it, even past his death in Zola's allowing Hydra to propagate anybody who decades. can download their mind and consciousness into a series of basically ENIAC machines, then that you get mad props from me. And um, yeah, Zola is definitely the next one up. Then it's um, Red Skull because he's crazy and I love Hugo Weaving. And then it's Alexander Pierce because he's only on screen for like two seconds, but freaking Robert Redford is amazing, um, and it's it's also awesome to think that he had more machinations that he did because I don't know Robert Redford brings a performance with him wherever he goes, and then Crossbones, aka that guy Bernie McFace, aka um, butts a kicked and aka. Um, not not really that memorable in the MCU. 
I know. I think he's pretty memorable. He was in some memorable scenes. He got some he memorable He was in some lines. great scenes. Yeah, he's he not the most three-dimensional character. But. Right. That's that's it. I mean, like, I remember seeing him. That's that's all I can say to his character. And that's nothing against the actor because he was doing the lines that were given to him. But in terms of bad guys, I wouldn't even put him in the bad guys. I would put him as head thug. Like, you know the henchman that you punch in the face and you forget well, he about got. Him? I mean, he got more screen time probably than, than Zola or... Or Alexander Pierce, maybe even more than Zemo. And isn't it sad across the the multiple movies? And that he was isn't in. it sad? That I'm just saying that that's how I justify having him in the list, I like as as a bad guy. Like he was one of the more prominent ones, even if he was sort of a underling. no. And you know that fight in the elevator. So you kind of put Winter's. You, I could kind of sorry to interrupt. But I guess you could kind of justify putting Winter Soldier in here too, right? Because he was oh kind of the villain sure. of the Winter Winter Soldier. I mean, and the movie was got... named after him. He's, mm. he's kind of, I mean, in the long run, he's clearly a hero slash anti-hero. But in the context of the second Captain America movie, at least, he was the main antagonist. I guess one could argue he was the most prominent antagonist. Like he's he was the a one, battering He's ram. the one Cap fights at the end. Like, Pierce gets taken out pretty easily, actually, in the grand scheme of things. He just gets shot by Fury. No, he's not. You know why? Because he's a tragic pawn. Um, and we learn from the very beginning sure, that he's, but villains can be he's tragic brainwashed. Pawns if they're manipulated yeah. and brainwashed yes. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they I can be include. an intimidating. Force, well, okay, but. so so if in theory I include Winter Soldier in here, how would how would he rank? Would he be no. the new number one? Mm-mm. No. Is no, that because of your definition of what a villain is, or exactly. just because you think? Oh, okay, <laughs> you're being a you're rules. I'm lawyering being a stickler. It. Yes, I'm lo- rules lawyering it. I think he's a fantastic figure, and I think that. Um, he would rank higher. Like if we were judging characters just based on their interest and, and whatever sentimental attachment you have to those characters, that's a different discussion. But we're talking about villains, and he's not a villain. Um, he's he's a pawn in the game of life. I know it's a it's Mongo a different way. Pawn it's a different way of, of rank. Life. It's different way of ranking things. Like if I say like rank rank these villains, like if if you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you if you well, say like. Which of them is which of them you like the best, or which of them sure. is your favorite? Like if you're if you're just sort of take it as read that they belong on the list. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I question that. I've always been questioning. <laughs> I've always been questioning quiz questions, like since I was a kid in school. Like I was like, why is it's this? Like, this isn't like related you, to the material. Like, <laughs> like if you had to rank your top sci-fi we movies, you know, and you put like Battlefield Earth with John Travolta above Star Wars. Because you felt that Star Wars is really more of like a science fantasy movie. It's like that may maybe technically, but but it's also a better movie than Battlefield Earth. You know what I mean? Like Winter Soldier might not be a true villain, but he's probably a better villain than Crossbones. You know what I mean? So I I, I see what you mean, but I think maybe you're letting the 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 letter of the law obscure the uh, never. Obscure the broader truth here. Never, I'm correct in all things. I think, I think for my point, uh, for my part, I would probably, I don't know. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me not to put Red Skull at the top just because he's the Captain America villain. Oh yeah, I understand. Um, they, hmm. And his his influence and his the the um, the effects that his actions have like ripple through all the other movies. Arguably, that's true. arguably more so. I mean, yeah, that's could true. Say, I mean, he started Hydra, didn't he? Yeah, well, well, I guess if you, it depends if you go with the the Agents of Shield version, where it's like this ancient society that dates oh, back to that right. alien planet or something. Yeah. But I don't think we're supposed to pay attention to that. Right, I forgot um, about that. But yeah, so let's just say he started Hydra. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I'd have to put Red Skull at the top. Um, I know Hugo Weaving um, didn't exactly didn't have for some reason didn't have the best time making that movie, which is why he didn't come back. But Part I think of that he was great. Makeup. I think that he was great in the movie. But also, um, he thought his character was pretty two-dimensional. 
Yeah, but he's kind of supposed to be. Not yeah. not every. I mean, the the first Captain America movie was was sort of like an, a throwback to an old fashioned war movie kind of that you don't kind of yeah, make anymore. Yeah, but this like, is Hugo Weaving. He knows about car- car- comic book characters and being three dimensional. Like, look at V for Vendetta. That is a fantastic film. Yeah, I think um, I'd have so to. He knows. <laughs> I think I'd have to put him first, and then probably Alexander Pierce, just because I think he's got such gravitas in the in the movie he does yeah um zemo zemo i like i i like i thought that his part was well written and well acted but it's hard for me to rank him super high as a villain just because he like he had he was punching way above his weight like he his plan succeeded temporarily right because ultimately i mean spoilers for endgame the avengers kind of rallied together (laughs) like it's not really you know what i mean like to a certain extent too late but Mm -hmm. you know they do ultimately save the day you know, I don't think that's really spoiling anything that the Avengers save the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so ultimately, his actions didn't amount to a whole lot, and he just felt like he's he's an interesting character, but he's 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 a tragic to me. He's like a tragic, kind of like you were saying about Bucky. You know, like Zemo's kind of more like it a tragic, a tragic, tragic character that was sort of playing the role of the villain to exact like some greater sense of justice that he felt that he had. No, you know what the difference between Bucky and Zemo is? Well, Bucky lacked all willpower. Exactly. <laughs> he was a mind-controlled exactly. slave. No, yeah, Zemo chose to do his actions and he chose to do... He, he chose to kill a lot of people. He chose to manipulate. Um, I know. I, manipulate. Just, I think that the... I think that the... I think that the, the one of the things that makes Civil War so cool is that it's kind of a movie without a villain. Like, is Zemo the villain? Well, he's sort of a, a tragic, sympathetic character who's just who's acting out of pain. Is and then one could one could say that like Iron Man is kind of the antagonist of that movie because he's the guy that is sort of the major physical threat. Like, because mm. Cap would have stopped Zemo's plan pretty easily if Iron Man didn't keep showing up and delaying him or fighting him or you know. Shooting, shooting his guys up at the airport, right? Even at the end, they would have they would have captured Zemo pretty quickly if if uh, he hadn't shown Tony the, the whole thing was to show Tony the video of his his parents being killed, um, and the way they sold Robert Downey Jr. on being in that movie it was sort of like it'd be a really interesting way for you to play Tony Stark is he's essentially like the villain of this movie, you know? Like, I know we're supposed to see both sides as being kind of right and kind of wrong, but it is a Captain America movie, and so I feel like your loyalties kind of default to him, and in that sense, Iron Man is like the antagonist, you know? I think we are supposed to feel like... Put him on the villain list. I, I considered putting mm-hmm. him on the villain list, really actually, want? yeah. No. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like Civil War is just a, um, a movie about, like, flawed people that are, that are hurt, and trying to like overcompensate or get some sort of sense of justice. It's not like Red Skull, like Nazi, you know? Yeah, yeah, Robert yeah. Redford, Definitely. kind of latter day Nazi. Nazi. Like, yeah, you know, day. like Nazi, Nazi. Nazi 60 years removed. Yeah. Arnim Zola, Nazi scientist. Crossbones, <laughs> Nazi thug, right? Like all these people, basically everybody on this list but Zemo is Hydra, right? So they're all Nazis to one extent or sure. another. So Zemo comes off as being more sympathetic, just. From by virtue of that fact, yeah. you know, um, I don't know. He does speak German. I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of blame to go around in Civil War. Like kidding. Like Cap made mistakes, yep. right? Yep. Bucky does a lot of bad things, but he's being controlled. Zemo obviously masterminds the whole thing, but he's got this this loss that he one could argue that the Avengers were wrong for endangering his people and getting his family killed, right? Tony does a lot of questionable bad stuff in this movie, but. He feels like he's doing the the right thing as far as keeping 
superhuman sort of in check. General uh, Secretary Ross is kind of like the the mean grumpy guy who's orchestrating things, but you can kind of see where he's coming from too. You know, it's it's a movie where nobody kind of makes the right call, and so everybody's guilty and everybody's innocent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, Zemo was the one that sets everything in motion, but I feel like it's even hard to call him a villain. He's he's a tragic figure. You know, he's, he's no. The, well, <laughs> you have you seem to have no. a very strict definition of the word. Villain. I do. Um, I can understand his motivations are tragic, based on tragedy, and he's a very broken person in and of himself. But he took that pain and he channeled it in very deliberate, premeditated acts. Well, he's doing that villainous things. De- exactly. He's doing villainous, evil things, and that sure. defines him. Your actions define you. But it's it's like he did have he did have his actions did have a huge effect. But it's like Joe Chill's actions had probably the biggest effect on Batman's life out of anybody. But if you're going to rank the top ten Batman villains. I probably wouldn't put Joe Chill in there, you know. Like mm. you have to, you have to be sort of to, to well, rank because like, he was only, you know, he was a what? Do you, what do you call? Well, it? Joe one Chill hit, was in like he was a one-hit wonder. Well, Joe Chill was in two Batman stories. Zemo was in one Captain America story, or at least this version of Zemo was. In the comics, Baron Zemo was the leader of the Masters of Evil, and he's in hundreds of hundreds but the of number Captain of America. things that Joe Chill did is is one, and the number of things that uh, Zemo did is many, <laughs> many, makes, many more. What makes you a good villain is the number of things you can, number of things you do in your story. That's true, though. I'm just, I'm just saying, like the, their their impact is to be like the best super villain in a list you have to be like i don't know over the top or flamboyant to have a crazy costume or superpowers or something like i'm not going to put hugo strange or joe chill or sal maroney or carmen falcone is like my top batman villains because yeah like they're really cool but you gotta have How that extra get batman i'm just saying like Z- I don't, this version of zemo couldn't be like my top captain america villain just like Joe Chill or Carmine Falcone couldn't be my top Batman villains, even if they're the best written in a certain version or they happen to like pull all the strings and so like mess up Bruce Wayne's life more than anybody else by like literally shooting his parents. You still have to go that well, you, the way you quantify you it have was more in to this you. movie, in, in this series of movies, who's your rank your villains? And that's that's what I did. Yeah. Okay. So should we move on to our shows? I am ready. Okay. So um, since a lot of the CW shows are, are uh, having their season finales in the next week or so, and we're actually going to be skipping next week because we'll be traveling. Yep. So the episode after that, we'll talk about the season finales of the CW shows. So I thought today we'd mainly focus on the shows that uh, that don't have season finales Yep. and, and are on the CW, um, which is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which had the season premiere, and Doom Patrol, which has a few episodes still left. Yep. Um. We've seen Arrow. We've seen. We're actually a little behind on Flash. We're mostly caught up on on uh, Supergirl. Mm-hmm. We've seen the Arrow season finale, but we'll talk about the CW season finales together uh, in two in weeks. One big thing. Yeah. Um, so, Agents of Shield season premiere. Yep. Um, something that they something that they uh, talked about in interviews and stuff, which I mentioned to you after the fact, is basically like don't try to make the timeline make sense because yeah, this is a year after the, the season finale of last season. Certainly seemed like it was happening concurrently with Infinity War. This is a year after that, but it's not. Hmm. Now we got to be careful of Endgame spoilers. Yeah. There's 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 stuff about Endgame which like there's not really any conceivable way that this could happen a year after Infinity War. So just you kind of have to forget the fact that the last season finale was supposed to be happening at the same time as Infinity War. This all takes place before Infinity War. As little sense as that seems to make, that's the only way to make it make sense. Um, so that's fine. Like I think this is just one more way in which all that we're seeing that all the non Disney plus, i.e. all the non Marvel studios helm TV shows are not, you don't, don't try to think about 
how they fit in with the movies because less and less going forward, I think they will, you know, like it's, they're their own things, you know, don't try to think about how Daredevil fits in with Runaways. There's not really any reason why they can't, but you're not supposed to spend a lot of time thinking about it. Whereas with the Winter Soldier and Falcon series on Disney Plus, you are supposed to, you know, try to fit it in with the movies because it's the same people, you know, this is not. Um, I think it was good. We're definitely seeing, you know, the team is scattered in a bunch of different places. Yep. Um, Gemma and Daisy and uh, a couple of the other S.H.I.E.L.D. guys that we've gotten to know a little bit, mm-hmm. whose names are Davis and um, it's the woman with the short hair. I don't remember. She's been name. around for several yeah, seasons seriously. now and I, I'm blanking on her name. Um, they're off in space. Something with a P? I don't remember. Piper? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, they're, off, they're off trying <laughs> to find Fitz. They find his cryo tube thing. But we see that the the creepy bald robot guy from last season yes. presumably got fits out Enoch. of there. That's right. Presumably got fits out of there before the ship was destroyed by whoever that was. Um, so he, the Gemma thinks that he's gone back. To, that seemed. I agree with the others. That that's a heck of a tenuous. Like yeah. I get that we're supposed to think that it's tenuous. Like she's acting kind mm-hmm. of irrationally because she wants to find her husband, who's not really her husband, because the version that was her husband was killed. Yes. This is a version of him from before they were married, from his perspective. Which, yeah. So it's going to be kind of weird. Not that he didn't already love her and everything, but right. it's not the version we watched for all last season, with the exception of that one flashback episode where we saw him get into the, the cryotube. Um, so they're going to go back to like, it's like if we wake up in a cryotube, of course your next logical destination will be where they make the cryotubes. I mean, I understand she's like, oh, well, he'll want to get another one right. so that he can go back to sleep for however many years. Yeah. But like, yeah, that makes some sense. But is that, does that mean you'd go to where they make them? I, I mean, I guess that's the only place you would know for sure you would find them. But I don't know. It's It seems tenuous, but obviously it's supposed to seem tenuous. Um, back on Earth, we've got everybody trying to, Mac is doing a good job running the show. Uh, we think for a second that Coulson might be back because we see him like listening to a little hologram of Coulson speechifying. Um, turns out it's just a hologram. Um, then we get at the end, we get uh, the introduction of Sarge, which is the character that uh, this is the way of keeping Clark Gregg on the show. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how in the CW shows where they kill a character off and then the same actor plays a slightly alternate different version of the version, next character. Yeah. So is this an alternate Earth they're coming mm-hmm. from or, or something like that? Or I don't know. I'm, that's the most logical explanation. But this guy is called Sarge and he's like an evil Phil Coulson, basically. He's got his crew. They're coming here to do something. Yep. Um and so that's the way of keeping Clark Gregg on the show, aside from the fact that he directed this episode. Yep, um, I did notice a, that, yeah. I, th- I, wonder how, I wonder how far deep, like, the... I mean, he's in all the promotional stuff. He's on, like, the art for the show, the Sarge right. character yep. for this season, you know? But if you went in not knowing any of that... Yeah. And you see, like, oh, Clark Gregg directed this episode. And then, oh, there's Clark Gregg doing a little cameo as Coulson as this hologram. Like, if you see that he directed the episode, and you're like, well, of course, he was there on set, so they sure. got him to do this little cameo... You would you would then be surprised when he actually shows up at the end as a different character. Like, oh, this is how they're going to keep him around. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you if he didn't direct this episode mm-hmm. and you saw that he had a little cameo as the hologram, they like they wouldn't have bothered to get him back just for that. He must he right. must be staying around in some capacity, right? Mm-hmm. So in a way, the fact that he directed this, this episode, I honestly thought he was going to keep directing it. That's what I thought before. Well, I like saw every it. episode. Yeah, I thought he was going to be a director. Well, that's, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's not the first episode he's directed, so I, it wouldn't I surprise me if he if he directs some. If it's like. And back in the old Star Trek days where, you know, the actors would be part of the director's rotation, you know, so Jonathan Frakes would direct every fifth episode or whatever, you know. Um, Yeah, but I think that it's it's funny because if you didn't know he was going to be around as this other character, the fact that he directed this episode kind of works to continue to surprise you because then you're like, oh, he directed it. 
no wonder he filmed this little cameo. And then, oh, you're surprised at the end when he's when he's back as this other character. Yep. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think it's it's uh, it was a good episode. I'm, I don't know, but I guess Sarge is going to be the big villain mm-hmm. of the show, or mm-hmm. I wonder if it's going to be a thing about we need to try to find the good in him. Maybe yeah. I've just been watching too many CW shows where they're always trying to find the, you know, like yeah. I must bring this, I must bring the villain back from the brink and should remind them of the power of humanity and family and everything. Hmm. Um, but yeah, do you have anything else to say about it? That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. On Doom Patrol, this one was called Flex Patrol. This was the big, yes. the big Flex Mentallo episode. Yep. So thankfully, um, Vic's father, not dead. Just in a coma. Yeah, few. Um, Although your theory from last time or your suggestion from last time still oh, right. is forgot possible about that, that uh, he it may apply. It seems less likely now. It seems it's less such likely, a TV but thing. It's, still, it's still on the Love table. Love one in the coma comes out of the coma at the end of the season or something. I oh. think that's probably more with their... I mean, what obviously the show defies expectations a lot, but I yeah, think that does. I think that the fact that he's alive and stable yeah. means that Vic is, probably has very little reason to <laughs> turn him into a cyborg you know true just play wait and see he's gonna stay stay by him seemingly i think that that's probably smart like he's the main character on the show but he's not technically a member of the doom patrol right. and is not in the comics yeah so have him sort of provide intel and then stay with his father at the end so that the main team can go off and stop mr nobody yeah they've got flex mentallo there so this is basically like the big flex mentallo origin mm-hmm. episode would you think of what did you think of the way they wrote his character and the actor that they got to play him and, and all that stuff? 100% fantastic. I love it. Uh, I love it all. I love the way that the character was written. I love the origin story. I love the fact that we both called it last time. I think we both called it, I think. I'm not sure. Um, that the guy in that 7 well, That was my theory. Was... Knowing that the Flex was going to be in this episode, that guy felt like you don't need the wacky bearded cellmate next door really in that episode. So it really feels like they're setting him up for something. And I was right that, that, that he was. Um, I think I have to call you on it because I think you were theorizing that that would be too crazy or maybe it is. Well, said, I, I, what I, I remember like, saying I'm, is I'm that sure when I was is. watching it, the last episode, I remember thinking, is that going to turn out to be Flex? But then I discounted it yes. by the end. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that I, I was I was, right. I was initially correct. Because I said, could say, yeah, you were initially If you hold collect- both opinions simultaneously, yeah. then you're always going to be right. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh, so this is how you do it. <laughs> I um, have uncovered your secret. Yeah, between this and the yeah. Danny the Street episode. And, and, yeah, it was uh, really I good. I mean, this, the, the, episode, the episodes that focus on... I felt so bad for his wife. I felt so bad for him and his wife. I felt... Yeah. That was so... Oh man, that was that was the a one, heck of a moment. The one thing that I wish they'd done, they kept the whole thing about he was like. So I mean, we don't really know very much about his origins. We know that he was he was like a a character in the back of comic books that somehow was given life. It's like it said it's in the dialogue, but we don't actually see that happen. Right. So I don't I don't quite know, but I mean, originally when Grant Morrison created him, he was a pastiche of the old like you know the Charles Atlas sure. ads. Like you'd yeah, read the old yeah. comics, and they would have ads for like bodybuilding mm-hmm. equipment in the back of the comics and you'd see this it would always be like the scrawny guy on the beach and the big buff guy would come up with the girl and kick sand in his face and so on. it's like oh right. man i really and then he t- he works out or takes this supplement or whatever yeah and he becomes the hero of the beach mm-hmm. and he and you know the he would flex and it would, the it would say hero of the beach above him so in the comics and i, I this is what i want to see them do in the comics when he would flex the words hero of the beach would appear in glowing letters above his head. Like, not just for us, the readers, right. as like a caption, but like literally the other people would in the room with him would see those words yeah. appear above it. So I wanted him to do that on the show. Like, when he flexes, like, 
he can make things happen. Mm-hmm. But I wanted the words "hero of the beach" to appear above his head like a flashing, like in flashing Neon lights signs, or something. Yeah. They didn't actually. Maybe when he does like his ultimate attack in the in the season finale or something, <laughs> it'll happen. Um, but yeah, and the guy that cast is really interesting. Like, obviously, he's super buff. Yeah, I would have in my mind. I pictured him as being more like I don't know, like more traditionally. Um, he's he's got an interesting face, you know. Like he doesn't he doesn't look like the 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 huge like the the Chris Evans type, you know, like yeah. the the square jawed, oh, sure, all American yeah. looking like guy, more like, jaw than man, yeah. He's got like an interesting sort of sort of face, you know, like he's got a face with character. He doesn't just look like a generic he buff looks, dumb guy. Yeah, exactly. And he looks like he's such a nice person, like the the way the actor's playing him and the character. Yeah, like the he sort just of a, looks like a kind sort of a naivete to him, to almost, him too, yeah, like the sort of boyish yeah. innocence to him. And mm-hmm. he is, I mean, when you see. The, the flashbacks the of him and in the in yep. back in the old days where he was like, oh, it's very don't, G, don't worry, Jimmy, Williger, Timmy, I'll get yeah. that cat out mm-hmm. of the tree kind of thing. Like he's he's a throwback. 100%. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I really like what they did with Jane's character too because she's starting to be able to ask her personalities for things. And this is what we were theorizing earlier and I don't even know how deep we got into the discussion um, about Jane, but I was saying that Right now they're fragmented and she seems the most um, together of the group. But after her spotlight episode, obviously it's it's deeper than that. And now Cliff is kind of understanding that there's a lot going on in her head um, than even she lets on. But and and a lot of fragmentation where she gets taken over. It's almost as if you know, the the kids in line are fighting for who gets through the door first. It's not a teamwork situation. And I was saying it would be pretty cool if they were, if they if they got some camaraderie amongst the personalities of Jane. And it seems like they're starting to do that. Yeah, you don't want to get like, there too fast. Asking because flip. once, once exactly. you can do no, the no, no, echo thing that. and like switch between them instantly as the situation demands it, you've got nowhere else to go with right. her arc, basically. Yes. Unless you completely cure her of her... Multiple personality, personality disorder, disorder, and she which, takes on the powers which is something herself. she might not even want, you know, right. depending on exactly. how well she's able to integrate her other selves and yeah, you know exactly. how happy she is with that situation. I'm also glad that she's being a little less like verbally abusive to her teammates because, f- like, they have the scene where she she's, has less reason to now. She's well, yes, starting like to be treated like no, a, I, I agree. Right. But they had the scene where where Cliff sort of put the hand on her shoulder yeah, and, yeah. and told her that he was sorry and but they like, worked up for that moment and, and i'm glad it, that they gave it a it lot was set of up i'm not saying it came out of nowhere but i right. but i've been feeling more and more over the past few episodes like i'm kind of ready for her just not to be like cursing and shouting at everybody like yeah. everybody else is sort of becoming become like rita right larry they sort of become more team players gradually and she's kind of last i feel like she's kind of the slowest to get there yeah not without reason and they have you know she's been well developed but i'm kind of ready for her to start to move more in that direction and that's too. what they're doing and in this episode yes, and that's I'm, why i wanted to I'm highlight glad, it i'm glad to see it because yeah. everybody else would be like sitting down for the team therapy session and she'd just be cursing at them or whatever it's like it's it, to me it was starting to feel this it was starting to get a little off-putting where she was just like she was just constantly putting all the other characters that I like down, you know? It's like, yeah. eventually that's going to start to make me dislike her and I don't want to dislike her because I, you know, I, right. she's a great character and well-played and so on. So I'm kind of ready for them to soften her a little bit, which is seems they, like they're, yeah. they're starting to do. So. That's why I wanted to bring it up because I think it's it's a lot of fun and I'm really glad that Flit got so much work to do in this one because it's obvious that um, she she has a lot of powers within her and the ones that they needed most were that was the teleportation it, it also you stuff. also kind of have to hold her back a little bit because if she did achieve that perfect 
situation where she could yeah, switch symbiosis. between all these different powers mm-hmm. all the time. There'd be very few threats that she couldn't handle single-handedly. I know. Basically, yeah. right? She so, could turn into that giant fire monster and then everything else. So she is... always has to be a little reticent or the personalities sure. always have to be a little hesitant to come up out of the underground or else. Right. Like, because what can one of her 64, what can Cliff do? Here's a question. One of this her 64 personalities. There's got to be one it. of them in there that's really strong. Hammerhead. Right? Yeah. So like, Hammerhead is super so strong. So like, what could Cliff do that one of yeah. them couldn't? So you've got to, you have to kind of ha- hobble her a little bit. A in little. Order to make, in order to allow the other characters to... But it wouldn't feel true either if she reached this sort of enlightened, um, I don't know, perfectly melded personality. It wouldn't feel right. Yeah. It wouldn't feel true. There's conflict within the show because there are conflicts within the characters and they are dealing with their own baggage quite slowly. Now, what do you think about Ed Asner's appearance oh, with Oh, I Rita? wanted to mention that, yeah. Well, so it was Mr. Do you think it was Mr. Nobody? It was Mr. Nobody. The oh, whole that time was to, oh. or just at the end? Well, yeah, it was. That was the point of the reveal because it's not like he needed to be in that hallway anymore. Like the the when he revealed himself, he revealed himself to basically nobody, no pun intended. So wait, what are you saying? You saying I'm it was saying him the whole that time? it was him the whole time, and that's what we're supposed to understand. So I forget that he was to, messing with Rita. To what end? Because it seemed like it was he wanted Rita in fighting space. I know, but I don't know why he, he wants he her wants in her fighting to man shape. Up? He wants her in fighting shape for some reason. But but I don't know. That seems weird because his whole thing, like he's been, the way that he's been fighting them is by messing, like Witness Dick in the last episode, he's been messing with their minds. He wants them screwed up. He doesn't want them I know. with their heads clear. He knows something we don't. That's the point. Hmm. I don't know. It, it seems, right now, I it love seems counter, by the way. Right now, it seems counter to his goals because everybody else he's trying to he make does. doubt themselves. That's why, that's why it's such a, a cluster F because you're supposed to be, questioning why would he work against himself hmm. in this way that's the point that's why he revealed himself at the end is to mess with us really yeah he's messing with our minds now <gasps> he's crossed into the fifth dimension yeah i don't know yeah <laughs> the scenes were good and, and the longer the, the when rita was talking to him was that one long take like because the longer the longer her little her she was telling her story about the tragic things that had happened yeah. And the longer it went on, I was like, have they cut? I don't think they've cut. I don't think, like, they, do. I don't think they cut to Ed Asner's reaction shots Until at all. I end. could be wrong. Like, I think it was just literally like three, four, five minutes. Yeah. Uh, just um, slow pushing on her, just one long take. Yeah, I think like, it was. I could be wrong. Like, there was definitely a long stretch there where you there were no cuts. It might not worse. have been the whole mm-hmm. thing, but. You know where there were cuts. I think they did that in one take. And I think there were, it was interspliced with her. No, there were no memories, were there? No. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't cut it didn't away from cut that away. room. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Even if it, it did. Good. Even if it did cut back and forth She's between great. her and Ed Asner, I'm sure they'd let her do the whole thing, yeah. and then they just had a second camera. Like I'm sure, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, stop. <laughs> yeah. Let's get a shot of Ed Asner, and then tomorrow then, we'll come back, and you can read the second half of your. No, like, no, no, I'm sure they let her do it. Yeah. It's just a question of whether you know she got through the whole thing in one take or not, or whether they did have to break it up out of necessity. But I'm I'm pretty sure it was one take. That was pretty impressive. She's yeah. Wonderful. It was a great episode. Great. So there's two more episodes left of this. Um, the next episode is called uh, Penultimate Patrol, and then I'm assuming it would be the last old, one is going to be fin- Patrol. I'm assuming patrol? it's going to be Finale Patrol. Finale Patrol. That's my guess. <laughs> um, I love their night. I love how much fun they're having. They embrace the weird. They embrace the silly, and I, I love them for it. It's really, really inventive and clever, and I'm very much enjoying this show. Mm-hmm. I really am. Yep. And so we'll talk about the CW shows next week. Yep. Or okay. in two weeks. Yes, in two weeks. Um, right. 
Uh, it, that'll be a long episode, so gird yourself, everybody. <laughs> but in the meantime, if you wish to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. On Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. Um, do you have a funny sound for us? I can flex. <sighs> Whoa. Ooh. <laughs>